the Gospel of John, chapter number 15, for our text reading here today. The Gospel of John, chapter number 15, for our text reading today. Welcome to what we're calling here our Friend Sunday. We're so glad to have each and every one of you at Ambassador Baptist Church and uh, just excited about what God has for, in store for us here today. If, if you are visiting with us, if you're a guest here, uh, then you've you have a friend that cares a lot about you, and uh, they just wanted to take the opportunity to extend uh, something to you that means so much to them personally. First of all, that's the person of Jesus Christ, and, and then this local body that we call the Ambassador Baptist Church. And so if you're visiting here today, we are super excited that uh, you chose to worship here with us this morning, and uh, looking forward to just some time in the Word of God. I know for me, I'm, I'm super thankful for the friends that God brings into my life. How many of you would agree? I, I'm thankful for when those, there are those times and, and maybe you're just a little, you know, kind of, uh, you know, just maybe it's a depression or maybe some uh, circumstances have hit you and you're just so thankful that God put some real good friends in your life during those seasons. How many of you would say, man, praise God for good friends? I think uh, all of us would say, man, I'm thankful for them. And yet the reality is, the greatest friend that, that I have is a person by the name of Jesus Christ. And uh, he truly has been such a dear and close friend to me. It, it is one thing, think about this for a moment. It's one thing uh, for me to say, man, I, I, you know, I'm, you know, Jesus' friend or Jesus is my friend. But you think about this for a moment. For me to say, you know what, Jesus is my friend, you know, that... That doesn't say a whole lot necessarily about him. I mean, uh, let's, let's picture it for a moment. If, uh, if I were to call a president or a prime minister or a celebrity of sorts and I were to say, hey, that's my friend, that, that's not necessarily saying as much as if that president or a prime minister or celebrity said, Josh is my friend. You, you see the difference between the two? Uh, the reality is when Jesus, God, says that, I am his friend. That's really saying something. And that's what we're going to find here in our passage uh, here today. Inside your service program that you should have received as you came on in today, there is an outline that you can use to follow along through the Bible study here this morning. I hope it will be a help to you as we take some time just to study the scripture a little bit today. If you are physically able, I'd like to invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. It's kind of a tradition we have here as we read from our text. John chapter number 15. I'm going to read one short verse here, and that is verse number 13. Here's what the Bible says in John chapter number 15, verse number 13. The Bible says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Notice that phrase, greater love. You say, what is the greatest type of love right here in this passage? As the Bible says, it's that type of love that would cause you to sacrifice to literally lay down your life for someone else. This morning, I want to speak on the subject of God's great love. God's great love. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into our Bible study. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the folks that you brought out today, Lord. And I, I pray, Lord, that you would allow us really just to uh, spend time in your word. Lord, people did not gather here to hear from me or a personality, Lord, or, or some person. Lord, we, we want to know what your word has to say. We want to hear from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak through your word. 
I pray that your word would encourage us, Lord, that it would inspire us, Lord, that would, it would give us a, a clearer understanding of what it means to truly be a friend of God. I pray that you'd bless our time here this morning around your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. Uh, there are a lot of different type of friendships in our world. Uh, the type of friends that you had maybe when you were in grade school uh, were different than the type of friends, the type of friendships that you had uh, maybe while you were in high school. And the type of uh, friendships that you had in high school were maybe different than the type of friendships that you have now as adults. And, and at different seasons of life, there are different type of friendships that we tend uh, to drift toward and tend to connect with. Uh, I remember uh, when I was in college, um, I, I remember, you know, the very first time uh, that I laid eyes on Jenny, who eventually became my wife, and, and she would not say this, I, I don't know if I would go quite as far as saying it was love at first sight, but for me, it was definitely strong, strong like at first sight, you know, and uh, I remember thinking to myself, man, what a beautiful, beautiful girl, and uh, from there, you know, looking for opportunities, maybe where we could talk and, and get together, and, and uh, I remember on one occasion, after we'd been talking for a couple of weeks, I, uh, I went to her and I said, hey, I- I'd, like to, I'd like to take you on a date. And we were living in Southern California at the time, and some of my friends were getting together, and we were going to go to Universal Studios Hollywood. Maybe some of you have been down there before. And uh, she was out from the uh, uh, Midwest, had never been there, and so some of the friends got together. And I thought, man, I'll, I'll ask Jenny to come with me, and then afterwards we'll go out for dinner. And, and, and where, where I went to school, I went to Bible college, and in order, in order to go on a date that would involve leaving the campus, you'd actually have to call the girl's dad. I mean, you literally, you could, I mean, it was just kind of, that was the way it structured. My father-in-law is here with us uh, today, and, and I remember that very first time I had to call you on the phone, and I was so nervous, even as a 21-year-old. I, I, I was so nervous, I, and I don't even know if I've ever even told you this. I, I literally wrote out what I was going to say to you on the phone, and, and then you started asking questions that I hadn't written out answers for, and it really threw me for a loop there, and and, uh, and so, uh, for whatever reason, you said yes, and uh, uh, Jenny's been suffering for that ever since, I guess. But we went to Universal Studios, and I thought we were having a great time, personally. I mean, I was having a good time, you know. It's just this, here's a beautiful girl, and here I have the opportunity of spending the day. We were taking tons of pictures, far more pictures uh, than she would have ever wanted to take uh, with me at the time. And afterwards, we went to a place called Spaghetti Factory. It was kind of downtown Los Angeles. I thought kind of a nice place to, to go to dinner, and, and we were talking a little bit. And, and kind of as we were talking, I, I began to kind of, you know, get the courage up to, you know, maybe convince to some degree that I, I kind of like her a little bit, you know, and so I'm kind of hem-hawing around trying to get to this, you know, I, I think, you know, I kind of like you a little bit and trying to go in that direction, and I don't remember exactly what Jenny said, but it was kind of to the effect of this, uh, about that, you know, she said, uh, uh, I think probably it would be best right now, you know, we're finishing up our dinner, I'm getting ready to sign the check, and she, she, she gave me this statement, Let's just be friends. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. When you hear that statement, let's be friends. You know, I, I, in that moment, I'm sitting there thinking, I'm about to, I just paid for this whole day. You know, I'm doing this. I mean, it would have been less painful if you would have just maybe, you know, take your steak knife and just drive it right through my heart. I, I think it would have uh, hurt a little less. When a, when a girl you like tells you, let's just be friends, it's kind of like when your mom tells you, your dog has died, but you can still keep him if you want to. You know, it's just... 
You know, it's, just, it, it, it's like a total paradox there. And, and there are a lot of different type of friendships. And, and the reality is, in, in that context, I did not want to be that type of friend with Jenny. I had, I had different ideas about the type of friends that we would be. And, and a lot of people don't realize, but there is a friendship that we can have with God. And sometimes the way we want to see that friendship develop and the way God wants to see that friendship develop can, can be very different. And so today we're going to take some time and, and really talk about the type of friendship that God desires to have with us. You see, true friends don't just love you because of who you are. Uh, true friends don't just love you because of what you've done. But rather, true, true friends love you in, in spite of who you are. They love you in spite of what you've done. If you've ever been let down by somebody, and maybe you're here today and you've been let down by somebody who would call themselves your friend, I want to say to you today that the Bible tells us that Jesus is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. And maybe you've had times in your life where you have felt entirely alone and you just feel unbelievably lonely I want to say to you that the Bible tells us that Jesus is a friend who will never leave you he is a friend that will never forsake you so some might ask the question how do you develop a real friendship with God I know how to develop a friendship with you know people at work maybe you know how to develop friendship with other uh, people in other arenas of your life but how does one develop an authentic genuine relationship with God and that's a little bit of what we're going to look at today. As we lay the foundation for our Bible study here this morning, I want to make this one statement, and that is simply this. Regardless of who you are, and regardless of what you've done, or what you've become in life, I want to say to you, based on the authority of God's Word, that Jesus is a friend who loves you just the way you are. Jesus is a friend that loves you just the way you are. Can can I say this? That Jesus is not just in love with some future version of who you might become. You might be sitting here today thinking, yeah, well, Jesus loves me because of what I will one day be. Can I, I say this? Jesus loves you right now. He loves you in everything, the messiness In the midst of the mistakes, he loves you just the way you are. His love is not conditional on you cleaning up your act. It's not like, okay, if you promise to kind of turn over a new leaf, if you promise to clean yourself up, then I'll promise to to continue loving you. No, God's love, Christ's love for you is entirely unconditional. He loves you right now. He loves you just the way you are, period. He loves you. This morning, we're going to dive deep into the oceans of God's love. And we're going to attempt to discover, discover just how great God's love for us truly is. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit here today. Uh, there may be some in this room, and unfortunately, in your past, you were abused. And depending on your situation, maybe the abuse is, is different than the way somebody else was abused. Maybe you were abused by somebody who was supposed to protect you. 
You were abused by someone who was supposed to take care of you. You were abused by somebody who supposedly loved you. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, I have been used. I have been abused. And Jesus could never love me after all that I've been through and all that's been done to me. Maybe you're here today and you feel invaluable. Maybe you're here today and you feel utterly worthless. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, nobody could love me. Nobody would want me because you've been scarred. Maybe you've been scarred emotionally. Maybe you've been scarred relationally. Some maybe even physically or, or sexually. And you feel, you feel scarred. There's a part of you that feels dirty and worthless. And you've come to the belief that nobody could love you. But I want to declare to you today that Jesus is a friend whose love is greater than your wounds. Jesus is a friend whose love is greater than your wounds. You see, God's love for us is, 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 is deeper than our hurts. His, his love for us reaches into our pain. It reaches into our hurt. It reaches into our injuries. It reaches into our loss. It reaches into our past. You, you say, how is it that Christ's love is greater than my wounds? How is it that his love can be greater than my hurts? How is it that his love can be greater than my pain and my injuries and my loss? and all that exists in my past. How is his love greater than that? Can Can I say to you today that when we take our pain and when we put our pain in his hands, God takes his peace and puts it in our hearts. You see, God's love is greater than your wounds. This is why the Bible reminds us in Psalms 147, verse 3. If you've got your uh, outline there, you'll find the verse there in your Bible study guide. The Bible says in Psalms 147, verse 3, He, God, healeth the broken in heart, and He bindeth up their wounds. Imagine for a moment an ambulance pulling up on the scene. And there's a person who's just been in a car wreck and there's blood all over their body. Their clothes have been dirtied and torn and they're just an absolute wreck. And imagine as the ambulance pulls onto the scene and the EMT jumps out and all of a sudden here, that person who was injured in that car wreck, that person who is now bleeding and scarred and hurt, now all of a sudden that person yells out, don't come near me, I'm, I'm embarrassed for you to see me this way. How many of you think that would be, that'd be crazy? Here's a person who's hurt. Here's a person who's in need. And yet here, if we were to say, well, that, that would be preposterous. Why, why would somebody in that position not want somebody who could help to come close? Because maybe they're embarrassed. They don't want to be seen in that way. Can I say it's just as preposterous to think that God would not want to enter into your situation in the circumstances that you find yourself Mark chapter number 2, verse 17, Jesus saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of a, the physician, a physician, but they that are sick. Can I remind you today that Jesus is the great physician? 
Jesus Christ is the great healer. Jesus Christ is the great doctor. And his love is greater than your wounds. His love is greater than your past. His love is greater than your injuries. His love is greater than your pain. Because it is his love that can heal. Jesus loves you just the way you are. He is a friend whose love is greater than your wounds. But not only do we see that Jesus' love is greater than our wounds, there might be someone here today who might be saying to themselves, you know what, if you knew what I'd done, if you knew the the sins that I've committed, if you knew some of the wrong things that existed in my life, if the closet doors were to be open and and the skeletons were to fall out, Maybe there might be some who would say to themselves, you know what, if you, if you really knew who I was, you, you would understand that nobody could love me. And I want to remind you today, based on the authority of scriptures, that not only is Jesus a friend whose love is greater than our wounds and our hurts and our injuries, but Jesus is also a friend whose love is greater than our wrongdoings. His love is greater than our sins. His love is greater than our iniquities. His love is greater than our failures. His love is greater than our mistakes. His love is greater than our imperfections. His love is greater than the guilt and the shame and the wickedness that have existed in our life. I think it's really interesting. Jesus was called many things throughout the Gospels. But I find it interesting in Matthew chapter number 11 where Jesus is called a friend of sinners. What an interesting title to be given to the creator of the universe. Jesus, friend of sinners. Jesus is a friend whose love is greater than your past wrong behaviors. This is why the Bible tells us in Isaiah that Jesus would be wounded for our transgressions in Isaiah chapter number 53. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. My friend, Jesus' love, the love that he has for you, it's greater than your past. It's greater here than your wounds. It's greater than your wrong behavior. But what's interesting to me is that Jesus has this uncanny ability to accept the sinner without approving of the sin. A lot of us as human beings struggle with this one. Because we find ourselves on one end of the coin or another. And yet Jesus has this uncanny ability to wholeheartedly accept the sinner. To love the sinner. To show compassion on the sinner. Without approving of the sin itself. In the early days of the last century, uh, there were often wood-burning locomotives that would run from city to city along the countryside. And, and these old locomotives, because they were wood-burning in nature, oftentimes as they were running through the countryside, maybe a spark of sorts or an ember of sorts would fly from the smokestack and it would land possibly sometimes even in a, in a hay field or a wheat field. As some farmers would know, there's about a two-week span of times where, the, where wheat is not you know, uh, ripe enough to pick, but it's now ripe enough to, to burn very well. 
And in some areas of our country where the wheat would grow, there would be huge brush fires that could very easily sweep through an area. In fact, depending on how the wind was at a certain time, literally these fires could brush through a prairie literally for miles and miles and miles on end. In some cases, you could see a fire coming for five or ten miles in the distance, and depending on the wind direction, you'd know that eventually it would make it to you. On one particular day here, there was a, there was a farmer who was noticing as he was working in his field that in the distance one of these fires had started and he noticed the smoke billowing in the distance there and as the smoke was billowing he kind of began to reach trying to figure out exactly which direction the wind was coming from and and it wasn't long before he realized that that fire was going to come right toward his farm. Of course, a fire like that had the opportunity, it could, t- it could literally wipe out an entire farm. It could literally destroy an entire, uh, someone's livelihood. He thought to himself he had maybe enough time to run for his life, to get his family and to get out of there. And he, as he ran into his home, he, he, kinda, he had an idea. He ran back out around his farm and he began to take a, a torch of fire and he began to burn, literally 15, 20 yards of his farm literally begin to burn a circle around his entire home. Literally burning and then putting out the flames and, and making somewhat of a burned barrier around that entire farm. And sure enough, as the fire made its way to where he was, his farm was saved. Kind of in the aftermath of the fire, realizing he had lost his entire crop, he was kind of meandering his way through all the burnt kind of wheat and and he noticed here down here a a little a burnt hen and he thought to himself maybe this little chicken kind of got confused and didn't know where to run and and he he kind of saw it and without really realizing it he kicked the hen and that hen flipped over and when he kicked that hen over he realized that there were several of these little chickens these little these little chicks that ran out from under that mother hen It was in that moment that this farmer realized that this hen, as the fire had blazed around, this hen had literally covered its little chicks up and had literally died so her little chickens could live. And in much the same way, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. Because of our sin, because of our wickedness, because of those times where we have broken God's law, the Bible declares that our lives deserve punishment. In fact, John tells us, the Gospel of John earlier tells us that the wages, the paycheck of sin is death. What you and I deserve because of our sin, because of our mistakes, because of our past, the Bible says what we deserve is death. We deserve punishment. We deserve a penalty separated from God for all of eternity. And yet Jesus Christ in his love came down to this earth literally to die in our place. Literally he took the punishment that our sin deserved. He took the consequences that our sin deserved. And much like that mother hen who died so those little chicks could live, Jesus Christ took upon himself our punishment. He took upon himself our consequences. He took upon himself our penalty. He died in our place. Theologians would call this a vicarious atonement. 
He atoned in our place. He suffered in our place. He bled in our place. He died in our place. And this is why God's love is greater than your wrong behavior. This is why God's love is greater than your wounds. Because he took the penalty. He took the punishment. He took the consequences. He took the ramifications of your sin and took them all upon himself. He he took the burden of those things upon himself. He took your place. He took my place. You see, my friend, that Jesus loves you just the way you are. He's a friend whose love is greater than your wrong behavior. He's a friend whose love is greater than your wounds. But I want to show you a third area where Christ's love is greater than. There might be one here today, and you say to yourself, you know what? If I committed my life to Christ, if I I surrendered my life to God, If I accepted him as my personal Lord and Savior, I'd never be able to live up to the standard of what it means to be a Christian. And maybe you're here today and you're thinking to yourself, man, I don't think I could ever be like those people are or like these people are. And you're kind of looking around the church and you're like, ah, you know, it's just I could never do it. I I could never be the type of Christian that I'm supposed to be. And so that has kept you from accepting Christ as your personal Savior because you're convinced you can't do it. You're convinced you'd never be able to kind of be a Christian like that person or, or those people. You think to yourself, I got so much baggage, I just don't know that I could pull it off. Which leads us to our final thought this morning, and that is this. Jesus is not only a friend whose love is greater than your wounds, not only is Jesus a friend whose love is greater than your wrong behavior, but I want to say lastly that Jesus is a friend whose love is greater than your weaknesses. Jesus is a friend whose love is greater than your weaknesses. His love is greater than your limitations. His love is greater than your inadequacies. His love is greater than those areas where you try and fall short. His love is greater. Now, you say, what do you mean by that? That Christ's love is greater than our weaknesses. Here's what Philippians chapter number 1 verse 6 says. I think this is in your, your, your study notes there. In Philippians chapter number 1, the Bible reminds us that we are to be confident of this very thing. So what is it that we're supposed to have confidence in? As believers, as Christians, what, what are we supposed to be confident about? He says this, being confident in this very thing, that he, speaking of Christ, which hath begun a good work in you. So the person, Jesus Christ, who starts this thing of salvation, he started it on the cross of Calvary when he died to take your punishment, to take your penalty, to take the consequences of your sin upon himself. He vicariously atoned for all of your past. He's atoned for all of your present sins, and he's even atoned for your future sins. And here's what the Bible says. You can be confident that Christ, the one who began a good work, the one who started this thing of salvation, the one who got this thing all going, not only does he start it, but he will also perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That is, not only does he start this thing called the Christian life, but when the Christian life is lived properly, he's the one that does it. Not you. 
He starts it and he finishes it. But that's not the only passage that talks about this. Uh, Hebrews addresses this in Hebrews chapter number 12 and verse number 2 where the Bible says that God is the author, notice this, and the finisher of our faith. He starts it out, he authors it, but he also finishes it. He's the one that completes it. He's the one that sustains it. He's the one that keeps this thing going. And for the people who would say to themselves, man, I've thought about this Christian life thing. I've thought about accepting Christ as my Savior. I've thought about it, but I've come to the realization that I don't have what it takes. I can't be the Christian that I see so-and-so being. Or maybe you've seen some hypocrites at your workplace, or maybe you've seen some hypocrites in other places, and you're like, obviously they can't do it, and So if they can't do it, what makes me think I can? And I want to say to you that the Christian life, when lived the way Christ desires for us to live it, not only does he start this thing, not only does he begin this thing, not only is he the author of this thing, but he's also the finisher of it. He's also the sustainer of it. He's the completer of it. While it is true that God loves you just the way you are, he also loves you way too much. To leave you that way. He wants to make you just like Jesus. You see, God doesn't want to leave you in your pain. He doesn't want to leave you in your guilt. He doesn't want to leave you in your shame. He doesn't want to leave you in a place that strips you of joy. He doesn't want to leave you in a place that strips you of hope. He doesn't want to leave you in a place that strips you of your peace. He doesn't want to leave your life comfortless and hopeless and purposeless. He has something more for you. He has something better. He has something greater for you. And so while he loves you just the way you are, no strings attached, he also loves you so much. He loves you enough that he doesn't want you to stay that way. He wants to do a work in you and a work through you to make you like him. And he can do it. When Josh Ermler fails at this thing, his righteousness can do what my righteousness cannot do. Christ's ability through me can do what Josh's ability cannot do. You see, for not only is he the one who starts this thing, he's the one who finishes it as well. Can I say this? It's his job to clean you up, not yours. (laughs) I know this is a silly illustration, but imagine somehow, (laughs) maybe you were walking down a sidewalk or whatever the case may be, and, and, and there was one of these little, you know, I don't even know what they call the things. I probably should have thought about it before, but, you know, these little manholes, and you fall down into it, and it just so happens that you fall into this manhole that happens to could be a sewer. Dumb illustration, I know, but kind of follow with me for a moment. And so there you are, literally trapped in this sewer. Disgusting, smelly, awful sewage. And somebody comes along to that manhole and they, they offer to help you out. And, and there you are, literally covered from head to toe in this stinky, smelly, awful junk. And you think to yourself, man, I, I want to get out of here, but I, I don't want somebody to see me this way or smell me this way. And so you say, wait a second, let me just clean myself off real quick, and then I'll let you help me out. 
And so you begin to try to get all this junk off of you, and you try to kind of get it off, but you're, you're waist deep in the stuff, and as hard as you try to get it off, you're just putting it back on. And, and in a state of futility, you're trying to make yourself cleaner, and you're trying to make yourself better, but to no avail. It just it doesn't work until finally somebody up there says, hey, just let us pull you out, and we'll clean you up then. And see, I think there's a lot of people, and you're kind of wallowing around, and you know it's not the life you want to live, and and you know God has something better for you, and you know his love is something greater for you, but you're you're embarrassed, and you think, I could never clean myself up. You try. You've tried before. You've tried to stop doing that thing, or you've tried to start doing this other thing, and and you've tried, and you've failed, and you've tried, and you've failed, and, and so you've just come to the conclusion that there's no hope. That it, it'll, it'll never happen. And you've begun to convince yourself you've believed the lie that you will always be who you are today. That you'll never be able to change. That you'll never be able to grow. And, and I want to say to you, while you're down in the muck and mire, yeah, you won't. But when you allow God to reach down and pull you out, Once you're out, once he's saved you, once he's rescued you from that life of sin, of guilt, and that shame, then you're in a position where he can clean you up. But you've got to let him pull you out before he can clean you up. I'm going to put this on the screens. The word sanctification is a word that we use in seminary. And I know it's a big word. Let me define it real quick. Sanctification is the process all right, um, by which God's strength brings your outer person into alignment with what he has declared you to be in your inner person. You see, the moment you get saved, the moment you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, when you put your faith and trust in him and him alone, the Bible says he makes you a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So when you trust Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, in that moment, in that instant, he makes you a new creature. He makes you brand, brand new in your inner man. He totally cleanses you from the inside out. And sanctification then is the process by which your outer man, your physical capacities, part of you that transacts in this physical world, begins to fall into alignment with what God has already declared you to be in your soul. You see, sanctification is what God does to get us to where he wants us to be. And this is why, my friend, his love is greater than your wounds. His love is greater than your wrong behavior. His love is greater than your weaknesses. His love is greater. You see, Jesus Christ loved you so much that he literally left the splendors of heaven, of glory. He came down to this earth And robed himself in flesh. Think about this. God became man. That's Jesus. He walked among this world. And in the process of living life. He did it unlike any of us could do it. He did it perfectly. 
where every one of us have failed at times and messed up at times and have made mistakes at times, when Jesus Christ, as God, lived this life, he did it perfectly. He did it without mistake. He did it without failure. And then the Bible says he went to the cross, not for some crime he had committed, not for some wicked deed he had done, but he went to the cross to shed his blood, to die on that cross, literally, get this, to take the punishment, to take the penalty that your sin deserves. The Bible says he was buried. He died three days later. He rose from the dead, proving he was God, proving he had power over death, proving he had power to take you to heaven. Forty days later, the Bible says he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and now the Spirit of God lives, drawing people to himself, and you've sensed that. Where the Spirit of God begins to draw you toward the the person of Christ, recognizing He is your hope. He is what you need. He is the only one who can do through you what you could never do on your own. And when somebody accepts Christ as their Savior, you say, how do you accept Christ? Much in the same way as you accept a gift. You simply take it. You receive it. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is, get this, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You say, how do I get eternal life? You simply receive the gift that God offers to you. That is the gift of salvation. You say, how do I receive it? By trusting that what Jesus Christ did on the cross, he did for you. And what he did for you was enough to give you life in heaven and new life here on earth. Simply put your faith, your trust, your belief in him. Repent of those sins and turn toward Jesus Christ. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can I say this to you today? There might be some people in this room and you've got some friends who love you dearly. You've got some friends who invited you to be a part of this service here even today. Because they want you to know the friendship that they have with God. Can I say just because God has got purchased you this gift with his blood, with his life, it's not yours until you take it. I don't think anybody in their living room still has their Christmas tree up. But imagine if one of you had a Christmas tree and the reason you didn't tear it down is because one of your kids hadn't taken the gift yet. It's wrapped It's paid for, it's sitting there, but they never opened it. They never took it. They've not played with it. It's just sitting there. It's of no functional value to them because they've not received it. In much the same way, though this gift of salvation has been purchased for you, Jesus Christ paid for it with his very own blood on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. Some of you are neglecting the gift. It sits there. It's paid for. It's got your name on it but you've never accepted it by faith. You know a lot about God. You're familiar with Jesus, but you've never put your faith in Jesus. He's more of like a historical figure, not really a personal friend. And today we want to offer you the opportunity to receive God's gift of salvation. You say, what do I got to do? It's not about joining a church. Churches can't get you to heaven. 
It's not about being a Baptist or a Presbyterian, being a Catholic. Denominations can't get you into heaven. It's not about putting money in an offering plate. That won't get you to heaven. It's not about being more good than you are bad. So one day when you get up there, you know, God will kind of weigh it all out. And if your good outweighs your bad, then maybe he'll let you through. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. According to his mercy, he saves us. You see, you can't do something to get this gift. Because what needs to be done has already been done by Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. And now he offers you a gift to simply receive by faith. It's not about becoming better. It's not about getting baptized. It's not about giving money. Not that these things are bad things, but they're not the things that get you to heaven. Here's what gets you to heaven. Jesus. Jesus. Putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Admitting from your heart that he is the way. He is the truth. And that he is the life. Can I ask you, I encourage you to choose Jesus Let me ask you this question. What would keep you from choosing Jesus today? What would keep you from it? Well, I I just have some horrible things in my past. Can I say this? Jesus can take care of it. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I'd be able to live up to the standard. Don't worry about that. Jesus will take care of that. What we're asking today, would you put your faith, your trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He is. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No man gets to the Father but through him. Has there ever been a time where you have put your personal faith and trust in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone? I beg you, I beg you, would you not consider accepting the greatest gift that has ever been purchased for you? And that is the gift of friendship with God, the gift of salvation. Shall we pray?